Crossing family, if you're thankful to be at church today, let me hear a whoop, whoop. I have been looking forward to getting together and being with you all week long. It is so nice to be able to kind of pull ourselves out of our circumstances and kind of lift our eyes from the lower story, fix our eyes on the upper story of what God can do and what God can redeem. And I am so glad that you're here today, here at 48th Street at all of our different locations. And of course, those of you watching online and inside, on the front end, I want to make a couple of announcements. First one is next weekend on this stage, Jerry Harris will be back and he'll be preaching. He's my wife's favorite preacher. And so when he gets back, it's going to be a great time. If you're excited to have Jerry back, put your hands together. It's going to be good. He's going to be closing out this sermon series and the sermon that he's going to be preaching is there has to be a place that gives people truth. And in a world that is full of shifting sand and all kinds of challenges, we got to have something to hold on to. We have to have something to cling to. And I can't think of anybody better to bring that word than Jerry. And I can't think of any better truth than the truth of God's word. Uh, the second thing I want to make you aware of is on Super Bowl weekend, we are going to have an incredible service planned at all of our different locations. Jerry and I are switching it up a little bit this year. It's going to be something new. We haven't done this before. We actually uh, brought somebody in. We interviewed them. Uh, I don't want to tell you who they are, but I am, I'm rooting hard for the Chiefs to win today. And... Uh, they are going to be sharing a story. We got to meet with them this week. An absolutely incredible person and uh, truly touched by just uh, the way that they interacted, their love for the Lord. And I think you guys are going to be absolutely blessed. The second thing we're going to be doing, and we're going to be doing this at all of our locations, is we are going to be celebrating and coming alongside of all of our communities, schools, and their sports programs and after school activities. How many of you? When you were in high school or junior high, uh, you were a part of choir, show choir, jazz, band, band, uh, football, basketball, wrestling, baseball, volleyball, all the sports, cheerleading. Yeah, okay. How many of you, um, you had a great time with those directors and those coaches? They invested in you. They helped shape who you are. Parents, you get this. You are not the only voice that your kid is hearing. You are not the only voice that they respect. Sometimes you're like, they don't respect my voice at all. And you are super thankful for good, godly coaches, teachers, and directors. And what we want to do as a church is we want to come alongside of them and we want to celebrate them that weekend. So here are a couple things that we're going to be doing to celebrate them. One, we're going to be doing, uh, I believe, our, the largest giveaway in our church's history because we've committed to giving $25,000 away. We could give up to $50,000 away that weekend. And here's how we're going to do that. Um, forever, we're gonna, we've already been talking to all the different school systems and their after-school activities, and they're going to have a chance to register. And then what we're going to do is we're going to give you guys all a chance to vote. And for you, you get to pick, hey, I am a part of this school, and this is the activity that we really love or my kids really love. And however many people pick that one, they're going to get five bucks. We're going to be donating $5 on behalf of every single person who attends to whatever it is that you choose. And our hope in that is that it's gonna be an incredible encouragement to our schools because they've had a rough two years. Would you guys agree? Second thing is we wanna change the narrative. Churches are known for uh, taking money, but they're not necessarily known for giving it away. And so we wanna kinda of flip the script on that. We're not doing it because we're flush with cash. We're doing it because we love our communities. We want them to love Jesus, and we're gonna do everything in our power to make that a reality. Does that deal with you? Okay, great. Um, now what I want you guys to do is I want you to pray, or, and we're gonna pray. So would you stand up real quick? Uh, this is going to get deep quick, uh, so I'm sorry for the rough transition, um, but 
even though I have those announcements stuff, this is something I really wanted us to pray for all across our region. Don't put your hand up yet. Let me just talk to you first, okay? Um, we've been praying for different groups of people. And if you're brand new to our church, this might freak you out a little bit. Um, just know that you're surrounded by just unbelievably awesome people, and you're going to see that in just a second. Um, today, the specific group of people that I want to pray for is I want to pray for people who are battling addiction, depression, anxiety, mental health challenges, eating disorders, self-harm, and suicidal thoughts. And I don't want to just pray for, for those people, uh, for you, but I also want to pray for those of you who are on a journey with somebody who's struggling in one of those areas. Because I know that there can be an awful lot of, of weight that you end up carrying through that process. Uh, you have a lot of worry because of their anxiety or their challenges. In the last two years, we've seen a huge spike in all of those areas that I just mentioned. We know it's hard. We know that it can be heartbreaking and we know that it can be exhausting. And so whether you are experiencing them personally or somebody that you care about is, we know that sometimes these situations can feel hopeless. So real quick, if you are either battling these things or you are doing life with somebody who's battling things, maybe you're a friend, a coworker, a parent, a brother or sister, a grandparent, would you guys just raise your hand at all of our different locations? Okay, now what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray for you. And if you're going, uh, I don't want anybody to come over and get any closer to me because of COVID and stuff like that, I, I completely understand. But if you would like someone to come and put their hand on you and pray with you, leave your hand up. People in our church, our difference makers, staff and people are gonna move around. Once someone puts their hand on your shoulder, go ahead and put your hand down. If you're a, a super strong Christian and you have your hand up, but you're seeing that somebody else has their hand up too, would you go and find that hand, put your hand on their, their shoulder so we can pray for them? I'm seeing a couple people in the back over there, campus passes if you need to kind of direct traffic at your location because I want to make sure we pray for some people today, okay? All right, while you're there, before you start praying, let me give you three verses. Pay attention to me because these verses are life-changing verses. One, 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all of your anxiety on him, him is God, because he cares for you. You can give him all of your worries, all of your fears, all of your pain, all of your cares to God because he cares about you. How do I know that he cares about you? Because he's got holes in his hands. How do I know that he cares about you? Because he, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins. For your pain, your struggles, he came for those. You need to know that when you're praying to God, you're praying to a God who cares. Second thing, Psalm 9-9 says, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And if you were to go through the list of things that I just mentioned, you would say, that sounds like trouble, doesn't it? And I want you to know that in your troubles, you can cling to Jesus. He is a stronghold that will never let you down. Here's the most important one, Romans chapter eight. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know right now, those of you who are battling this, you could be tempted to say, God doesn't love me. Because I'm wrestling with this, God doesn't love me. And those of you who are part of this church and you're loving people who are in that, I need you to be able to look them in the eye. I need you to be able to pull out Romans chapter eight and say, you need to know 
that nothing can separate and nothing can stop God from loving you. That is hope that every single person needs and it's a hope that every single one of us should share. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, right now I know that I'm praying a prayer that is stretching over 10,000 square miles and I cannot even imagine how many people are hurting. God, I know that there are a lot of people that feel like their situation is hopeless, that there's no way out. I know that there are some people that are just tired and worn out from the long battle and the long journey. And God, I pray that you would make your presence known to them, that you would confirm in their spirit that you love them, that you care about them, and that you are close, and that you will not leave them, and you will not abandon them. Help us as a church to be people who care and are your hands and your feet in those situations. Give us wisdom to know what to say and when to say it and how to say it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you guys. Would you have a seat? Well, we're in a sermon series called There Has to Be a Place. Week one, we said there has to be a place for everyone and it's gonna take every one of us to make that happen. And we looked at this spiritual spectrum and we realized that we have an obligation and a responsibility to everybody on this continuum, to those who are far from Jesus and to those who've been following Jesus for a really long time. And we also recognize that we have a spiritual obligation to our region and that uh, our hope is to make this region and whatever God grows it to be the hardest place on planet Earth to get to hell from. That many years from now, multiple generations from now, people would say, I was fortunate enough to be born in a community that had a church that believed that God could change things, that there would make a place, a home, where anybody was welcome and anybody could find Jesus. And then we talked about there has to be a place that gives people time. And that sometimes we acknowledge this truth, that we can get frustrated because it takes longer than we would like for people to grow in their relationship with Jesus or find Jesus. And we committed as a church that we're gonna be a place that's gonna continue to give and love and serve and care and pray for people until they find their relationship with Jesus. We wanna give them the time they need. We're gonna be patient with them because we recognize that Jesus has been abundantly patient with us. And then we talked about there has to be a place for water walkers, for people to take their steps of faith and we wanna root for them and cheer for them and celebrate them and encourage them on that journey, but we also recognize that we can't cheer for people from the boat, that it's only after we take our steps of faith that we're able to turn around and encourage other people to take theirs. And then last week we talked about there has to be a place that tells people it's not over, that while we may fail, uh, our failures do not have to be final that we learned about Jesus and that we serve a Jesus who went, walked 70 miles out of his way to cook breakfast on a beach for a guy who betrayed him. And that there has to be a place that reaches out and restores people, that proudly proclaims that when Jesus is in the story, the story isn't over. Today, my sermon is called, There Has to Be a Place for Lost Causes. Turn to your neighbor and say, lost causes. There has to be a place for lost causes. I'm guessing that just a couple of moments ago when I asked you to raise your hands, 
some of you that raised your hand, you feel like a lost cause. You feel like because of everything that you've been through and everything that you're going through, that there's not much to look forward to. You think that if the people around you could use a phrase to describe you, they might, they might whisper they're a lost cause. Maybe you're a person who's been journeying with somebody for a really long time. And while you don't say it to them publicly and while you still hop in your car and drive over when they need it, there's times where you just feel like the situation that you're in is a bit of a lost cause. And so on the outset of this message, I, I wanna tell you my, my desire is today, I'll, my hope is to give you hope, is to rekindle a belief in you that when Jesus is in the picture, there's no such thing as lost causes. That when Jesus enters the scene, everything can change. Today, we're gonna look at a story of what happens when Jesus encounters a lost cause. Tell me if you think that this guy sounds like a lost cause. Mark chapter five, verse one through five. Then they went across the lake. Remember, we've been talking about there has to be a place. To the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, if you look at this in the original language or depending on what Bible you use, uh, they would say he's demon-possessed, okay? So this is a pretty soft rendering. He's, 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 he's demon-possessed. Came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. So he's been tied up. What's he been tied up with? Not even with the chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Do you feel the pain of this moment? I mean, if you were just reading through this, would you have read through it so fast that you wouldn't have allowed it to sink in? Can we take just a little bit of time and just explore what it would have been like to be this guy I mean, what was, it, what was he like before this moment? Can you see him? Can you see him playing in the dirt as a small child? Can you see the smile on his face as he learned to ride a bike with his father? Can you see his cheeks get red as he experiences his first crush? Did he excel at sports or did he have a gifted mind for learning? What was he like when he was a boy? Parents, you've been there. Do you remember that there was this day where your kids would come down and you would talk to them and they still had their baby uh, voice? And then one day they came downstairs and they talked to you and it was gone. And you didn't know it was gone until you watch an old video and you hear it. Parents, do you remember what it was like when your kids, they would still give you a kiss on the lips before they headed off to school, but one day you kissed them and that was the last time that you got a kiss, but you didn't know it was the last time when you gave it. What was it like to be this guy? Uh, now he's something different. I mean, he, 
possesses supernatural strength, but not the kind of strength that's used to help people. It's the kind of strength that's used for destruction. His once baby soft skin is now tarnished with the marks of him cutting himself with stones. His forearms and legs are a tattered mess telling the story of a life of pain and suffering. Can you see the people who tried to bind him? This is a small town. We get small towns. Who were the people that tried to bind him? Was it the very same guys that he went to homecoming and prom with? Who were the, his former classmates? Was it the ones that he hung out with after school that had to try and put the irons around his feet? This wasn't some unknown face. This was somebody that they grew up with, that they skipped rocks on the very shores that Jesus docked on. Can you feel it? Do you see his parents, the one small child that they held in their hands and dreamed about what his future would be? Would he take over the family business or would he venture out on his own? Did he marry somebody? Oh, he wasn't this way when he got down on one knee, but over time he became this guy. Did, she, did they have kids? Is the son picked on at school because he doesn't excel at sports because he doesn't know how to play the game like everybody else because he's never had a dad around to show him? What's the daughter like? Does she move from relationship with one guy to a relationship with another guy to a relationship with another guy, desperately trying to fill the hole in her heart that should have been filled by a father? What's it like at Christmas? Does the mom give him presents from dad, even though they know that dad's not around? Did she tell him what happened or does she keep it a secret? What's it like for this guy and his family? Late at night, do they turn on the sound machine? Do they get a box fan and turn it on high to create as much white noise as possible to make sure that they don't hear the cries of their father as they try to go to sleep? Because night and day he cries out from the tombs. If there was ever a lost cause, I think this guy was it. If you and I were to chart this guy on the spiritual spectrum, where would you put him? I mean, I think we can all agree he's not a minus one. Probably not a minus three. If I were to say minus five, some of you would go, Clayton, that's way too conservative. Where would you place him at this point in the story on the spiritual continuum? I'm guessing most of us would put him off screen because let's just admit, this guy's a lost cause. Well, let's keep reading in the text. What happens next? When he, this is the demon-possessed man, saw Jesus from a distance, way off, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Well, now we found ourselves in a spiritual standoff. On one side we have Jesus, son of God most high, who's the one who says this? What's well, the demon-possessed man? Well, how did the demon-possessed man know who Jesus was? Well, it's because 
You know this in your Bible. In James chapter two it says, even demons believe that there is one God and they shudder at the thought of it. The demons know exactly who's in the presence. It's everybody else who's trying to catch up. So you have Jesus on one side and then on the other side you have this man who's possessed by a legion of demons, which is an odd thing to say. A legion is a military number. It's used to describe a detachment of 6,000 soldiers. So are there a 1,000 demons in this man, or is we just trying to go, there's lots of demons? It appears, if I'm just being honest, that Jesus is outmatched. I mean, maybe, maybe Jesus could do something if it was one Jesus versus one demon. Or maybe one Jesus versus a couple smaller demons. The odds are not in his favor. This is one Jesus versus thousands of demons. If there was ever a lost cause, this had to be it. This guy's finally in the presence of Jesus, but Jesus is so vastly outnumbered. This guy's a lost cause, and everybody can see it. Let's keep going. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits, the demons, came out of the man and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, pause for just a second. We've been given a bunch of numbers in this story. We were given a legion, that's 6,000, and then we were given a group of pigs, about 2,000. So it's reasonable to believe that all the pigs had the exact same effect. As soon as they experienced the demon, they ran off the hills and they died. So I think it's safe to say that there were at least 2,000 demons that had taken up residence in this man's life. Let's just say it was a real number of 6,000, and each pig got three demons. This is a lot of math for this early in the morning. I get it. Look what happens to the pigs the moment three demons enter them. They run down the bank, they jump into the water, and they drown and die. And this man has had all of those demons waging war in his life for who knows how long. If there was ever a lost cause, this was it. Well, let's keep going. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. Well, this would be big news. If 2,000 pigs showed up dead in any of our communities today, there would be an awful lot of news. I mean, I'd be right there in the middle of it with my smoker. I would have been right there, like this is a tragedy. I'm hoping one happens in a couple weeks, okay? And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who, this is past tense for those of you who like English, had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This man had an encounter with the Son of God And now all the people are seeing him sitting there. Remember our previous descriptions? He ran about night and day among the tombs. Now he's just sitting there. 
He's not cutting himself. He's not breaking chains. He's under control. They see him dressed. Luke goes that this man had not worn clothes in a long time. He just ran about the tombs naked. Furthermore, he's in his right mind. He's no longer running around the tombs, crying out, cutting himself. He's sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. Something had happened to him. Something had gone on. He had been changed. He had been made new. It was almost as if 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation, and the old is gone, and the new has come. He's interacted with somebody who specializes in lost causes. Oh, that's right. He met Jesus, and Jesus loves lost causes, and Jesus specializes in lost causes. And if I were to be honest with you, and I think if you were to be honest with me, we would agree that there are a lot of lost causes in our communities. There are a lot of people that we would, not, not publicly and definitely not at church, that we would call lost causes. And I'm here to tell you that there has to be a place for lost causes. And I'm saying that place should be right here, right now, and it should be with us. It means that there are gonna be people welcomed into the different doors at our different locations that you don't like and you don't agree with. And there are gonna be people that you, you see here that have hurt you and have wronged you, but the one who hurt you and wronged you maybe hasn't met Jesus just yet. They're still negative. They're still minus five or whatever you would classify them as. There might be a person that comes to this church that you are praying to God that they would leave you alone, and I need you to know that's fine. I just need you to know that there's other people praying to God that they would be saved. There has to be a place. That means that Jerry or myself or campus pastors or different staff might hang out with people that frustrate you because of who they are, how they are, but I'm telling you there has to be a place for lost causes because I was a lost cause. You see me standing here in front of you, dressed, thank you, Jennifer, (laughs) and in my right mind, mostly. And every week, you... Let me come up and I get to talk to you about Jesus. Because what you're seeing is you're seeing a snapshot of me after Jesus got a hold of me. But I didn't date your daughter in high school. I didn't run with your son in high school. You weren't the police officer that picked me up. That's not who you are. You just know me after Jesus. And if you would have placed a bet on me before Jesus got a hold out of of me, you'd have lost. And I'm willing to wager that if somebody placed a bet on you before Jesus got a hold of you, they'd have lost too. There has to be a place that looks at people in their pre-Jesus and has an imagination about what they could be post-Jesus. Because when Jesus gets a hold of somebody, there's no such thing as a lost cause. Look what happens. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. These people don't want to be around. Let's keep going. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's the 10 cities, 
how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. All the man wanted to do after Jesus had rescued him is just stay with Jesus. Can you blame him? Isn't that kind of what you want to do from time to time? It happens every year at camp with our kids. They go there and they have such an incredible experience and they'll say things to their small group leader, I just wish I could stay here. And sometimes you guys have that experience at our different locations. You're like, I just wish they'd sing another worship song. When Jerry's preaching, you're like, I wish there was just another sermon. If we could just stay here a little bit longer, because listen, it is great to be in the fellowship of Christians. It's great to be around people who love you and who love the Lord, but that's not why we exist. We exist to take our story and go out into the world and tell people what can happen when Jesus gets a hold of him. And that's exactly what he did. That man went and he told his story. He lived out his testimony in front of the very people that they saw write that testimony. When you um, met this guy on the spiritual spectrum, when we were looking at him, where would you have placed him before he met Jesus? Well, he meets Jesus, he wants to stay with Jesus, but Jesus sends him out. And the next time Jesus comes to that region, 4,000 people show up and they get fed by Jesus. How did that region go from one dude in a region where they said, get away from us, Jesus, to the next time he comes back, there's 4,000 people ready to hear the word of God. How does that happen? I'll tell you. A guy who was a lost cause. Now, where would you place him now? Where would you place the guy who brings 4,000 people to the feet of Jesus? Where would you put him on this spiritual continuum if you're a three? Maybe... Maybe we shouldn't spend so much time looking at how lost a cause might be and start thinking about how big our Jesus is when he enters a situation or a person who is a lost cause. There has to be a place for lost causes. There has to be a place for lost causes so they can be loved and cared for until they become face-to-face with Jesus. There has to be a place that helps them turn their lives around and then sends them out to share what God can do with a person just like them. If you, would have, if you were like me, you would have put him at minus 1,000. But when Jesus got a hold of him, there was no stopping him. And I don't just think that that's true for that man. I know it's true in me. And I know it's true in some of you, and there's not a person that is listening to the sound of my voice that God can't redeem, repurpose, and restore. You are not a lost cause as long as Jesus is alive. And we know that Jesus is alive. And we also know he's coming back. We wanna help you get ready for that. We're moving to a time of decision. There are some of you in here today that you've never started an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I just need you to hear me say this. When Jesus is in the picture, there's no such thing as a lost cause. There's no situation, no circumstance, no challenge that he can't overcome. And I know that for some of you in here, you're going, Clayton, I I get it, but you just don't know how lost I am. And I just need you to know you're right but you don't know how jacked up the people that you're sitting next to really are. You don't know how messed up the people in your row really are. 
because you're just seeing their after Jesus life. You don't know the depths of their pre-Jesus life. You don't know how much that he can redeem and restore and repurpose and reuse because maybe we owe you an apology and we haven't shared the depths of our pre-Jesus life. And you might be sitting there going, man, Clayton, I, I hear that, but I mean, I'm, I'm, a really, I'm a really bad person and I've done really, really bad things and I just need you to know, yeah, that's the room you're in that all of us have sinned, all of us have fall, sh- fallen short and continue to fall short. But it's Jesus that changes it and redeems it. And I would hate for you to be in this room or watching online and believing that the good news of Jesus is good for everybody but you. Because the real power of Jesus is when you realize it's for you. That when he comes into your life, everything can change. And I've said this a ton of times here, and I'm just going to keep saying it. I know you think that if I just need to get a couple more things figured out, and then I'll say yes to Jesus. I've just got to fix a couple things on my end. I just need you to hear me. They call him the demoniac in the scriptures. Here's what he would have said if he was you. I just gotta get these demons down to like 5,998, then maybe Jesus can, 6,000 is just too much. Or he's like, you know what, if I could just get, if I could just get down to 4,000 demons, maybe then Jesus could. I gotta do my part. Maybe if I could get, if I could whittle these demons down, if I could just get rid of these issues down to like 2,500, you know, that'd be great, less than half. What would you say to him? What would you say to the guy who's like, I've only got one demon. I don't even need Jesus. No. You'd look at that guy and go, one demon, that's all you got? But you can't get rid of it. You can't shake it on your own power because you and I can't fix sin. We can't. No matter how big or how small you think it is, you can't fix it, which is why God sent Jesus on your behalf. So whether you've sinned a lot or a little, every single one of us equally needed the grace that was provided to us through Jesus Christ on the cross. And you can have it, and you can experience it, and you can place it in your heart today. And if you want it, in just a few moments, there are people here that would love to answer some of the questions that you have, and they're going to be right over there by the baptistry. When the people around you stand up, uh, I want you to seriously think about coming up here and get talking to them and starting that relationship to the rest of you in the room. I want to talk to you about two different groups. One, I know that some of you, you're, you're dealing with it. You're journeying with somebody, and it's hard right now. I just need you to remember that Jesus is bigger than anything that they face do not lose hope. Do not be discouraged. He is ever present. He is the helper you've always wanted and he can supply more than you could ever imagine. Don't give up. The person you are walking with is not a lost cause. They just haven't met the full power of Jesus yet and God might be using you, yeah, you, yeah, you, to be Jesus to them. So don't hold back. 
I want this to be a church that bumps into a lost cause and says, you can come to church, you can come to my church, and you can sit with me. And that we would be a group of people that take joy in sitting amidst what other people would call lost causes, but we proudly go, no, 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 no. That's exactly where I wanna be because that's where Jesus is. You notice Jesus just hopped on a boat, came over, interacted with a demon-possessed man, and then got back in the boat. That's all he wanted to do. There's a demon-possessed man over there, and I'd love, I'd love to spend some time with him. And those of us who are Christians, we need to be people that are willing to spend time with people that others have called a lost cause because we know there's no such thing. Maybe some of you, you need to pray about the situation you're in. It's so close to home, and you've been seeing the problem get big, and your Jesus somehow has gotten smaller. You've been fighting the fight for a really long time. You've been answering the phone calls. You've been making the emergency trips for so long. You're just worn out. And maybe you need to just get down on your knees for the lost cause in your life and the lost cause in your family, and you need to just lift them up in prayer. Maybe you need to lift yourself up and go, God, I'm just tired and I'm worn out and my perspective has been jaded over time. I need you to give me fresh eyes. I need you to kindle in my spirit that you still move and you still heal and you still change people. I keep wondering, what could God do with a church like that? All I know is it's only gonna happen if you do it and I do it, because it's gonna take everyone to make this place that kind of place. Would you join me? Let's stand. God, I'm believing right now that you're gonna do something special in our hearts. God, whether we get to see it or not, we wanna be a church that's committed to you, that believes in you, that chases after the people that you came for. God, I can't imagine the amount of pain and discouragement and frustration and hurt that's being carried by people in this room and online right now. But God, I rejoice in the fact that you are big enough to manage it all. You're big enough to hear every prayer, to pay attention to every need, that nothing escapes you. So God, over these next couple of songs, would you just have a genuine encounter with all of us? Make it clear what we're supposed to do. In your name I pray, amen.